Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Stand for the reading of God's Word. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18. To 25. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. <clears throat> Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if, for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. <clears throat> for what credit is there if, when you sin, and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return while suffering, He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is our intent to hear your word preached and to submit to it. Father, to do the work of self-examination and the subsequent obedience to it that you deserve as our Father. And so, Father, help us in this. Help us as we work through this passage. Bring conviction to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So from last week, you remember that verses 13 through 17 call us to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to our governing authorities. Right, we work through the ins and outs of that issue. What we have in verses 18 through 25 is a closely related issue to that. The main issue is still submission to authority, though. That's still the main thing that the Apostle Peter is working through here. Submission to authority. Looking forward in your Bibles, we see that this topic continues well into chapter 3, starting with directions for wives submitting to their husbands. So, for a while, we'll be talking about submitting to lawful authorities, authorities that are set up by God himself. And as with all things that God does, right, those authorities are there for our good, right? The order that God imprinted on his Creation all result from his archetypal fatherhood, from his own authority. He's the father 
over all, and so it should be no surprise to us that he has ordered his world and brought order to this world. Authority and submission are inevitable, and, and they are not the arch enemy that you have been told they are. Authority and submission. First thing to notice about our passage is it's addressed to servants, right? Right at the beginning of verse 18, servants. The word here is not doulos, which would be translated slave. The word here is oikites, which is close to the word for house or household, which is oikos. So Peter, Peter is specifically addressing household servants or domestics in this passage, He's moved from everyone's call to submitting to governing authorities to a subset. He's, he's now talking to household servants and the necessity for them to obey their masters. John Calvin remarks that the difference between a slave and a household servant is a difference of little moment. Right? Most of the commentaries assume that Peter was speaking of household slaves, of slaves who worked in a particular person's home. The one commentary I had that addressed it head-on said that oiketai, servants, means members of a household, domestic servants, including free men as well as slaves. What Peter has primarily in mind is not slaves as a class, but the household as a common social institution. So, And, and then, and then I, I, I broke my own rules. I went and looked in one of those study Bibles, which I typically don't. The Reformation Study Bible says this in their explanation. The vast majority of such servants were slaves and were treated as property. That's what they said. So we're, we're basically dealing with, you know, um, Greek slavery here, Roman slavery. So I think it is, you know, safe to say that Peter is calling to submit um, calling to submit to their masters those who are working in that man's household, his household slaves, whether they became, you know, whether they were forced there by slavery or whether they became a servant by their own free choice. It's clear, though, that any situation in which we have no choice or form that relationship voluntarily, these commands of Scripture apply. They apply in an employment situation where we may be the servant at times and we may be the master at other times, right? They apply in our households with our children who are free men who are called to serve the household. They apply in some sense to our relationship with the church. When we entered this church as members, we took vows, which included a vow to support the work and worship of the church to the best of our abilities and to submit to the governing, to the government and discipline of the church. So even here, even everywhere, there is authority and submission. Same with the presbytery, same with the higher courts of the church. There's authority and submission. So we are all in situations, whether young or old, where these commands must be kept in mind. So what does the Holy Spirit teach us here? We are to be submissive to our masters with all respect. We're called to heed the commands of our bosses, of our authorities, of our elders, of our pastors, of our parents, of our husbands. 
And when they decide a direction, when they make a final decision, perhaps including your input in that or not, it is our duty to submit to that decision. Now, everybody wants me to dilute that statement with a thousand qualifications, right? What about this and what about that and what if he's a jerk? And there are some qualifications, such as we talked about when, when it came to submitting to our governing authorities. We do not obey any authority when to obey them would cause us to disobey God. Fundamental principle. Right? But, but that is not often the case. Okay? And the only thing that causes us to want to disobey our authorities is our own really usually our own self-importance and pride, right? Is this easy? Is it easy to submit to, to anybody? No, it's not. It's not. Pride is one of those sins that if you are not recognizing it on a daily basis, you are spiritually dead. Our pride roars and rears its ugly head all the time. Right, Pride makes us want to have no earthly authority over us. And the worst pride I've ever seen is when somebody says, I submit to God and to no man. Right, problem is there are passages like this that teach us God wants you to submit to men. And when you don't, you're refusing his commands. So that's the first thing. We must have a posture of submission to authority. We must have a posture of submission to them. We must hear a parent's commands, children, as what God would have us do. We are to hear a boss's commands as what God would have us do. We must hear a husband's commands as what God would have us do. It's, a, it's worth saying here that there is something worse than a husband who commands and a boss who commands and a parent who commands. And that is a husband or a boss or a parent who does not command anything. Right? That's the way of our culture right now. Right? Everything is a group project with no leaders. I hate group projects. Everything is meant to be decided democratically. Right? And the purpose of that is so that No one gets to wield authority, and therefore no one has to be responsible, which means no one needs to be at fault for any kind of failure. And after we, you know, after we get rid of the electoral college, right, we'll get rid of representatives and simply put every decision to the people. And that will be a mess because devoid of leadership, devoid of authority, and devoid of, it, it's devoid of any means of accountability. So many people today resent the fact that CEOs make a ton of money. Well, the fact of the matter is this, they bear more responsibility. Their decisions have much more of an impact on the whole viability of a company than does the guy who is loading boxes in one of the trucks, right? He can make a, that, that man who's loading the boxes, necessary work, I'm not belittling the work, he can make a decision about where to place those boxes on the truck without risking 1,000 people's jobs. Not so the CEO. 
right? And the guy filling the truck isn't going to have to field questions of the board of directors about where he decided to place a box. And so we as Christians must remember that the Apostle Paul and Peter and others directed slaves to be obedient to their masters. They did not talk about the injustice of the situation, but simply told Christian slaves to honor God by submitting to their masters. There is such a thing as authority, in other words. And there is such a thing as accepting your position in life. Accepting where God has put you. We as Christians should recognize that, but our hearts are desperately wicked and we do not like being told what to do. None of us likes being told what to do. I do not like being told what to do. We all become functional anarchists whenever we have to do something that we don't want to do. I don't believe in authority. You can't tell me what to do. If your boss tells you to bring him a cup of coffee, you should... Consider that God's command to you. And you should not just slop some powdered creamer in the cup without stirring it. Right? Which is what you want to do. You should make sure that that cup of coffee he gets is the best cup of coffee that you could get him. Right? Now, strikingly, the passage goes on to say that we are to submit to our masters with all respect. Right? That's the first thing. Submit. Remembering the weight they bear, but we are to submit not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Now get this as we dig into this a little bit. In other words, you don't get to extract yourself from the situation and play the victim. Christians can't be victims. Christians have been redeemed by the Lord. No more victimhood. My parents are too hard on me. That should never come out of the mouth of a Christian. My boss, my, my boss just doesn't understand. He doesn't understand me. He doesn't understand what I need and how I function. My husband treats me like scum. I mean, he actually commanded me to stick to a schedule when it comes to homeschooling. Can you imagine that? Why does he hate me so much? One of the commentaries that I was reading as I prepared said this, for the Christian, victim status is not an option. Men dead in their sins may claim that they are victims and truly believe believe that they are. It escapes their notice that they have brought most of their miseries upon themselves. Furthermore, they, being dead in their sin, have no effective armor to protect themselves against the sinful exploitation of others. The Christian, however, is made alive in Christ and is provided with the full armor of God to protect himself against the assaults of wicked men and devils. Therefore, no writer of scripture ever addresses his readers as powerless victims of circumstances. Rather, God speaks to us in his word as those whom he has made more than conquerors in Christ. Now, fact of the matter is this. There are wicked men and devils that afflict us. But your current boss is neither wicked nor a devil. You, yeah, you see him as such, perhaps. 
right? He may be a hard man. He may be a discerning man. He may be a man with high expectations, but he is likely not a wicked man or a devil, right? We have the tendency to think that those who have authority are all wicked, think, you know, and, and we can thank social justice warriors for that. Because of our pride, we think that all authority is out to get us, right? Yet returning to the passage, we might think that it tells us to submit only to those authorities that are good and gentle. It tells us to submit to those who are unreasonable, those who appear to be manipulating situations, those who appear to be two-faced, those who are always dogging us, those who are micromanaging everything we do. The word Peter uses here is scolios and can be translated perverse. It literally means curved or winding or crooked. It's the same word the Apostle Paul uses in Philippians when he writes about the crooked and perverse generation. Right? That gives us a better flavor of what the Apostle Paul is here commanding, doesn't it? But... And so he's, I mean, Apostle Peter, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are crooked, also to those who are perverse. Calvin says that this word means that those masters are, that those masters are cruel and perverse and who have no humanity or kindness. Now, we also must say that elsewhere in Scripture, masters are commanded not to be that way, right? Masters get directives from Paul elsewhere. Um, Peter doesn't bring that up in this passage, but, but um, Scripture does have words for masters. They are not to be this way, but if they are this way, here's what's laid out for us to do, Right? This command does not sanction masters acting inhumanely, but what it does mean is that if you have a master, if you have a boss, if you have a husband who is such, they still have authority and your calling is to submit. It's true. Your calling is simply to submit and to do what they ask of you. Again, Calvin in his commentary writes, Though as to the duty of servants to obey their masters, it is wholly a, different, wholly a matter of conscience. If, however, they are unjustly treated, as to themselves, they ought not to resist authority. Whatever then master may be, there is no excuse for servants for not faithfully obeying them. For when a superior abuses his power, he must indeed hereafter render an account to God Yet, he does not, for the present, lose his right. For this law is laid on servants that they are to serve their masters, though the masters may be unworthy. I mean, this is really challenging, isn't it? I think if I had us raise our hand of how many people quit jobs on the spot because of a a perverse master everybody's hands in here would go up, right? I've had hard bosses. It was painful to work under, right? I've had 
micromanaging bosses. I've had passive-aggressive bosses. I've had negligent bosses. I've had unscrupulous bosses, right, Who's, who morally you would not want to follow. And I've also had good and gracious bosses, and, and because I'm proud, I, I found all of them to be hard to obey and submit to. All of them. But all of them had authority. All of them had position that I didn't have. All of them had authority, and I was called to obey authority. I've also had authority. I've also been a husband. I've been a father. I've been a pastor. And as an authority, I've been unreasonable. I've been hard. I've been passive-aggressive. I've been negligent. And I myself have been unscrupulous. Right, And none of that pleases the Lord. I've made it hard for others to obey me. My children suffer the most. Right, They see every one of my hypocrisies. They hear me preach and then they see me live. Right, They get my anger and they get my tenderness sometimes in moment after moment. But I remain their father. And God calls them to honor me and to submit to me. No one said that submission to sinners, other men, was easy. None of the commands of Scripture are easy. It really takes the Holy Spirit dwelling within you to obey them. None of the obedience that God requires is easy. It requires faith. It requires the ability to get beyond the moment of a boss screaming in your face. And to get in that moment to remember that God requires humble obedience to this unreasonable man. God requires this of me. And this just is not the way of the culture we live in right now. Our college students learn to resist anything that even is microaggressive. Right? Something that may not intentionally have been aggressive but is perceived as progressive is enough for there to be protests in the, this, you know, center square of the college. We also speak of marriage as mutual submission because we don't want to think of it as authority and submission. We take every grievance of the past and make sure our father's descendants pay reparations to hell with forgiveness we need to get paid. We tremble with rage when the president uses even his Twitter authority. Right, The whole impeachment trial is an unwillingness of half of our country to submit themselves to lawful authority. Do you realize that that's what's happening here? The air we breathe is the unwillingness to allow anybody else to exercise authority over us. So the Holy Spirit's command here is nuclear. It is simply not a part of our cultural DNA, so it's particularly the calling of Christians who have the Holy Spirit to demonstrate a proper submission to authority. So, so we all need to repent in various ways. We all need to repent of thinking that we are our own authority. That is not true in any realm. You are not your own authority in any realm, anywhere, at any time, if you have God as your authority. He's your authority everywhere, in every realm, and he is over you. Why submit? Why then? Why submit to the good and bad authorities? The apostle gives us an answer to that question from verse 19 on. He argues this. 
For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrow when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you, are, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. In other words, it is, it is possible for us when enduring sins against us to humbly submit to the one sinning against us because we fear God. There is no authority outside of God that will not at some point sin against you. None of them. They will all at some point sin against you. Fathers and mothers sin against their children. Husbands sin against their wives. Bosses sin against their employees. Governing authorities sin against their constituents. To act like they do not sin is to have an improper doctrine of man and sin. And that is exactly what our modern intellectuals have is an improper doctrine of sin. So thinking themselves above sin, they require that anybody who does sin be removed from his position of authority immediately. Tweet the wrong thing as a professor at Indiana University like Eric Rasmussen and you have forfeited your authority. You no longer get to call the shots. You get that plaque that says you're so-and-so professor of what's it uh, taken down from your door. And that's a vicious machine that will grind up every man and woman. But supposing you do have a proper doctrine of sin, you should be able to endure people's sinfulness because you know you yourself are a sinner. Do we get this? Do we get this? Or, or do, we, do we think too highly of ourselves? So Peter says, if you sin and endure harsh treatment, you get no credit. You have brought upon yourself what you deserved. But on the other hand, if you do what is right, and the, the response to doing what is right is harsh towards you, if you get a harsh response and you patiently endure it, well, you then get some credit, right? The credit is this. That finds favor with God. God is pleased with that, right? Let me say that again. God is pleased when we do the right thing and suffer for it. God is pleased when we submit ourselves to unreasonable bosses and suffer for it. God is honored when we obey him by doing what Mr. Grumpy or Mr. Harsh demands. Right? And the ultimate argument that the Holy Spirit makes is what follows, and this is, this is because Jesus did it. And there's like, once you get to that point in Scripture's arguments, there's no further argument you can make. Jesus did it. You should do it too. Right? There there. There were many who, from an earthly standpoint, had authority over Jesus, right? We know Jesus is God, but from an earthly standpoint, he submitted himself to many authorities. He submitted himself to his parents, right? He obeyed the governing authorities. He was tried by Pontius Pilate. He was crucified by the Romans at the behest of the Jewish authorities. Jesus Christ suffered true injustice it says this in Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. 
Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. And even in this passage, the, the, um, in 1 Peter 2, the apostle is quoting Isaiah 53, just a few verses further from what I read. It's this 53.9. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. That's the example that we're told to follow. The Son of God suffered for doing right by the hands of unreasonable men who had temporal authority over him, and nothing less than your redemption from sin resulted from Jesus' meekness. What power in that meekness, right? While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. The apostles tempted him to do differently, didn't they? Luke 9, we see this. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem, speaking of Jesus. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then they went on to another village. The kind of spirit they were of was the spirit of the devil, who just can't stand to be insulted and keeps a records of wrong, a record of wrongs. Jesus, though, knew. Right, knew that his meekness would find favor with his father. Jesus knew his meekness in the face of insults would find favor with his father. It was his delight to suffer for doing what was right because he was always drawn back and, and he saw the bigger picture. How much more do we sinners unlike Jesus have reason to submit ourselves to those who are unreasonable? We've sinned against others. We've oppressed others. Jesus did not and could not, and yet he was meek. Right? Our pride flares up when someone makes fun of our car. Our pride flares up when some, someone makes fun of our football team. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Peter says that throughout all of Jesus' life, throughout all the injustice that he suffered, through all the mocking and spitting, through all the suffering at the hands of men, Jesus kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Right? In other words, Jesus knew that God saw everything that was happening. God saw it. And that, that is still true. God knows better than you do just how perverse your parents and your boss and your husband are being. Because he looks on the heart, whereas you just look and see his behavior. He also knows the struggle of your own heart to overcome your own pride. So when you act like his son, who in the face of insults did not insult in return, he knows and he sees and he rejoices. Notice that it says that Jesus kept 
entrusting himself to him, to his father. We have to keep entrusting ourselves to God because it's very easy to forget that God sees. And then to take matters into our own hands. God doesn't see. God doesn't, where is God in this? God doesn't see this. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. We would rather have swift justice by our own hands than full justice by the hands of God. We have to entrust ourselves to God. We have to remember that he will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or bad. He will bring every act to judgment. One of the very last words of scripture is this, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. Remember what it says after that, To render to every man according to what he has done. Remembering that, Remembering that is is what it means to entrust oneself to God. That is what allows us to endure injustice, to endure what is unfair and even evil, and yet to respect and obey even the one who is doling out that injustice and evil. God will one day deal with it. Nothing gets past God. God will one day in a very public tribunal Bring full justice to bear on every terrible situation you've ever been in. And if we endure well, that finds favor with God. That finds favor with God. Children, don't buy into our culture's victim mentality. Don't go into every situation trying to find the angle where someone is oppressing you. It simply is not the case and it, is, it simply is arrogant to think you wouldn't do the same thing if God ever gave you some authority. You do not have to be a victim. You can just suffer and trust God will one day take care of everything. You can be like Jesus. Your piano teachers are not persecuting you. They are pushing you to work. Right? Your boss at Chick-fil-A is is demanding and wants you to pick up the pace. So what? That doesn't give you the right to paint yourself as a victim of a cruel boss. Your husband has had harsh words with you, wife. Okay. God will deal with him. But you're not allowed to, to, to um, hang your head in your hands. And find solidarity with other victims like yourself. And trust yourself to God. Trust God. Finally, we get to verses 24 and 25. The apostle reminds them that the injustice that Jesus bore was for our good. His suffering has made it so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. His suffering has given you life from the dead. His suffering has healed you. All of that is example. And there will be power in imitating Christ in our own sufferings, right? For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. We who are in Christ are safe even when we suffer harsh and unjust treatment. We were not safe when we wandered sinfully from God, but now we have, by God's gracious calling and 
been enabled to return to our only wise, immeasurably loving, and omnipotently protecting shepherd. Right? If he makes us stay in any afflictive circumstances, we shall, in those circumstances, find green pastures of his provision. He knows where we're at. We shall not be destroyed if we follow his example of suffering. The glorious result of his suffering, all ordained by God for our good, shed an empowering light on our own afflictions, leading us to expect glorious and incomparable satisfying results from them. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Suffering is good for us. And it can be endured if we entrust ourselves to God. It can be endured. Do so and see that your witness for Jesus Christ is taken to new heights. It will be taken to new heights. People will, will not understand how somebody could, could not be a victim. People won't understand how you speak respectfully of your parents and not just dog them all the time and say that you are a victim of, of them. Right? Your boss, your pastor, actually had expectations for you. You don't have to be a victim. Entrust yourself to God, and if there was any sin in what was required of you, God will deal with it. But that's the thrust of this passage. It's submit to lawful authority. It is challenging for us. Our minds are all exploding with a thousand exceptions, even now. A thousand exceptions. And we could go through those. Is there a time to divorce? Yeah, there's a time to a divorce. And separate and not endure the, the violence of a violent woman. Right? There are times to, to disobey authorities because the authorities are telling you to disobey God's commands. But a hundred out of a hundred and one times when an authority gives you a command, it is not, it's not going against God's word. And you should obey. May we all have the grace to be able to do that. Let's pray.